Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. Greetings to you, our listeners. Roger Satwebembile is my name from the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. We have been dealing with a series entitled, What Did Jesus Really Mean? And probably you are there wondering, yeah, why is that such an important question? Don't we already know what Jesus said? Of course we do, because we have the scriptures, they are written. What Jesus said, how Jesus still preached, or what he told, it is there. The question, however, is not what did Jesus say. The question is what? did Jesus really mean? It is an important question. It's a question that requires urgency in terms of answering it. Remember that Jesus is at the center of the Christian faith. And what you do with Jesus ultimately determines your eternal destiny. If you believe wrong about Jesus, you cannot find eternal life because he is the only way. He is the only mediator between God and men. And If that is the case, then Jesus, in terms of who he is, what he has done, what he has said, are extremely important and inexplicably connected with the whole of the Christian faith, that when you miss Christ, then things fall apart, the center can no longer hold. And as you can imagine, there are so many people that have come to the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament and have come across passages that have confused them, or they have not understood well, or they have found them seemingly controversial, and they have wondered, what did Jesus really mean by saying this? Especially when they come across some of those passages that don't seem to be in agreement with the rest of the tenor of Scripture, or they come across those passages that seem to contradict biblical doctrine, and they are left wondering, did Jesus even say these words in the first place? And if he said them, did he really mean what we think he meant, or could it be there is another explanation beyond what we assume right now? So as we go through this series of what did Jesus really mean, how I pray that you will open your hearts to understand, to see his statements in the entirety of the testimony of scripture, so that you may know what it is that Jesus wants you to know today, and you can become a thriving, flourishing believer who is discipled and grounded in God's word. Jesus was the most powerful, great teacher that ever lived. There is no doubt about that. He was a powerful communicator. He communicated with authority and power and with great wisdom. But some of those statements he made are really, really, really not easy to understand. That sometimes when we come across them, we find ourselves in that valley of decision, trying to understand what Jesus really meant. One particular verse that I wish to bring to your attention today, in fact a passage from which that verse comes, is the passage that we find in Matthew chapter 12. And if you will come with me, beginning from around verses 24, we can read that passage and then seek to answer our question. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom 
divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Wow! What a mind-blowing passage! What is going on here? And reading this passage, we find ourselves left with a question that demands an answer. When Jesus says whoever blasphemes against the Spirit will not be forgiven, what exactly is he talking about? What is that sin against the Holy Spirit that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 12 from verses 31 to 32? Of course, we know that this sin is the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and what does that mean? Does it mean that there are certain sins that can be forgiven, but there are sins that will never be forgiven? What about those who have committed that sin, but now have repented and are really sorry about what they did? Are you saying that it is too late for them to be forgiven, so no matter what they do, they will never go to heaven? What about believers who are already Christians, but for whatever reasons, they found themselves against the Spirit? Does that mean all their sins that had been cancelled are now brought back into remembrance? So, those who were once saints and declared to have eternal life, now are sinners that are headed to eternal destruction? Jesus, what are you really talking about? And you see, this is not just a question that is asked about whether we will be forgiven or not, but this is a question that becomes personal and comes home. You find yourself asking a question, is it possible that I have committed blasphemy? You want to look back in your past and begin asking yourself, all these years that I lived before believing in Jesus, and in all those ways in which I disregarded the gospel, I ridiculed Jesus, maybe even made fun of him or his disciples or his church, is it possible that I committed the sin of blasphemy before I became a Christian? And if I am now a Christian, am I forgiven? Or am I forgiven all other sins except that one? And if that one is remaining, how does it affect my eternal destiny? So this is a question that is approached with a lot of emotion, a lot of concern and great fear actually. 
wondering whether you have blasphemed the spirit and therefore will not make it to heaven or whether you have not or whether if you did blaspheme him you have actually been forgiven? It is a question that demands an answer and demands an answer now, not tomorrow. So how do we understand this passage? And what happens when this passage is misunderstood? When these words of Jesus are taken out of context or even abused? As you can imagine, grave danger, grave deception, grave destruction await such people that will misunderstand the words of Jesus. Remember, at the center of it all is Jesus. If you misunderstand him, you are in serious trouble. So what did Jesus mean? Well, first of all, we need to understand what Jesus did not mean. I have heard a lot of people who have made a conclusion and said that because of these words of Jesus, it means that if you were, you blasphemed the Holy Spirit, no matter how many times you repent, you will never be forgiven. So don't even bother, just live your life, eat and drink and wait for death to come and pick you. I have also had other preachers who have said, well, all your other sins are really forgiven, except that one sin. And for that one sin, you will be punished in hell for some time, and then after that, God will have mercy on you and bring you into heaven. Is there even such a thing as once in hell and then later in heaven? Oh, does the Bible actually teach that once in hell, you are in hell for real and for eternity? I have heard other preachers who have said, well, God can forgive you because God forgives all sins, so don't worry, just live your life, whether you've blasphemed or not, who cares, as long as one day before you die, you come to Jesus and you say, I'm sorry for all my sins, he has promised in the Bible to forgive all your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, so who said that there is a particular sin that can't be forgiven, and they have concluded that either believers are misunderstanding Jesus' words, or maybe Jesus did not even say them. These were just added in the Bible by some people who like to forge around. Surely I have had people give different uh, explanations as to how this passage can be understood. But the question remains, how do we really understand this verse? Well, Number one is that we have to consider Bible interpretation principles. And principle number one is that the Bible is not a book of, of scattered Bible passages and verses all over the place. It is a book that is orderly. It is a book that has logic and has progression. It is a book that has themes. It's a book that has a unity. It begins somewhere and is headed somewhere. When you come to the Bible to understand it well, you must consider each verse and each passage within the entire context of the whole Bible. And for us to understand this verse, we must consider the backdrop to this passage. What has been going on in this passage, even before Jesus mentions those words? Understanding the background of what Jesus is saying or doing at this stage will help us to understand what it is that Jesus is doing. And according to the background, actually the listeners of Jesus had just witnessed mighty miracles that Christ had performed in the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. 
When you look at Matthew chapter 12 from verses 22, we are told that then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him, so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So there we have our setting. We have our background. Jesus has just killed a man who not only is blind and mute, but the cause and source of his blindness and muteness is a demon. So Jesus has rebuked the demon and the demon has left the man. And the man now being delivered from the demon that held him captive can now see and can now talk. And this miracle or this experience brings two conclusions to the people that were listening and watching that day. One group concluded and said, Could this be the son of David? Is it possible this man is the Messiah that we were waiting for? Because all Bible-believing Jews at that time would have known that one of the characteristics or signs of the coming Messiah was the performance of supernatural wonders. So they look at Jesus performing this supernatural sign and they conclude, is it possible by what we see that this man has actually proven himself to be the son of God, the Messiah in whom we should put our trust, not just for healing and deliverance, but more than all that for our salvation and our eternal destiny. Could this be the man? But when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had this, their conclusion was, no, there is no way he could become the son of God. If we are saying miracles are the ones that vindicate him to be the son of God, then we can very well explain the source of his power. And his power does not have to come from God. His power does not have to come from the Holy Spirit. His power comes from another master demon, the one called Beelzebul. So they have witnessed a miracle, and this miracle according to Jewish history and theology and Old Testament scriptures, there was only one conclusion, that the man who performed these signs and wonders is the Messiah, because he would be the anointed one who is able to do such signs and wonders. Knowing this then, they seek to find an alternative explanation to what has happened and the source of the power that has made it happen. This is not a case of ignorant Pharisees. This is a case of men who already know the truth of the scriptures, but who for whatever reasons are deliberately trying to explain away what they know to be truth. You can call it a case of atheism. A group of people who decide against all the evidence available and they decide that there is no way Jesus could be the son of God. They attribute his miracle power to Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And they are even willing to go against the Holy Spirit who works through Jesus to perform these miracles just to deny or discredit Jesus. They are willing to accept any explanation as long as it does not come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, begins to address them in uh, the most clear way possible. And Jesus is saying, you guys have seen the miracle. You guys have every reason to believe in the miracle. 
you have every reason to know even who is the source of the miracles because these miracles are orchestrated and performed by the Holy Spirit. But for different reasons, you deliberately choose to deny the truth you see and go against what you know to be true. And the question is, if you have denied the Spirit of God by whom these miracles are happening, how else are you going to believe? What other truth are you going to accept? And so Jesus says, be very careful what you say, you people. First of all, what you're saying does not make sense. Because if the demon is the one delivering a man from another demon, then clearly Satan has lost the battle. How can he fight himself and then win? Clearly, there is another explanation beyond Jesus' power coming from demons to drive out demons. Anybody thinking carefully would have known there is a problem with that logic. So Jesus draws them to the other alternative source of power. There is only one way. This can be the Holy, this must be the Holy Spirit. And if you people decide that you do not want to believe that the Spirit of God is the source, you are committing the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and you will not be forgiven. Very, very serious and very clear. These religious leaders have decided to explain away the power and the identity of Jesus and in so doing, they have denied the Holy Spirit who is working through Jesus to perform them. They will soon understand from the words of Jesus that the Holy Spirit is much more than just working miracles through Jesus. The Holy Spirit is actually the one who places it upon the hearts of men, who convicts them of sin, of righteousness and judgment, who brings them to that point where burst in faith they acknowledge the gospel, they acknowledge Jesus to be the Savior, they repent of their sins and they receive forgiveness from above. So if they do not believe that the Holy Spirit is able to perform these miracles, will they believe him when he calls them to receive what Jesus is doing? And if they refuse to listen to the voice of the Spirit, and they refuse to acknowledge his power as the one that is able to bring them to Jesus for salvation, then clearly they have rejected the Holy Spirit, and without him they cannot come to Jesus. That is what Jesus is saying. That if you do not believe the work of the Spirit, how can you be forgiven? Because it is the Spirit who will bring you to Jesus. You may hear the gospel, you may understand it, you may even like it, you may even enjoy it, but knowing it and enjoying it does not make you saved. What brings a person to faith in Christ is the work of the Spirit of God. Working through the preaching of the gospel, breaking the heart of the sinner, convincing him of his sinfulness, encouraging him to receive the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection, and bringing this man to a new birth. So if you deny the Holy Spirit, none of those things will happen in your heart, which means that no matter what you hear, you actually will never believe and will never receive Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts and leads men to repentance. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes people open and receptive to the message of salvation in Christ Jesus. Therefore, the one who rejects the Holy Spirit as a source effectively separates himself from the only one who can lead him or her to the only path of salvation to Christ Jesus. So what Jesus is saying, is that the entry point into salvation or into accepting Jesus as the Messiah 
In fact, the password of the kingdom of God, if you may, is the Holy Spirit. Not only does he work through Jesus for miracles and wonders, he also works through men's hearts for salvation. And if you disregard the Spirit and his work, and you instead attribute it to demons and the devil himself, how can you come to Jesus? Who will bring you? Because for starters, we know the devil will not. We know Beelzebub, the prince of demons, will not. We know the demons themselves will never bring you to Jesus. Instead, they will draw you away. There is only one way you can come to Jesus. The Spirit of God convincing you, convicting you, and converting you. And if you reject the Spirit of God, like these Pharisees did, and chose to disregard him, and to explain him and his power away, then there remains no more hope for you, because there is no one who will bring you to Jesus. Now you may be there wondering, and you are thinking, so what if I have committed this sin, how do I get forgiven? Well, interestingly, if you are worried that you may have committed this sin, it is only reason to believe that you haven't committed it. Because you see, people who have uh, disregarded the Holy Spirit or blasphemed him, already don't care what he thinks about them. They don't care whether they have sinned or not. They have hardened or closed their hearts, that even in the face of evidence and miracles, they still will not believe. So if you are feeling conviction, if you are afraid that you may have committed it, that is confirmation that actually you have not committed it. Or if you have, it is confirmation that you have been forgiven. That's why you are concerned. That's why you are convicted. That's why you think you may have committed it. And that's how you know that actually you have not committed it because you are concerned about it and you are worried about it. Those who have committed it don't care, probably don't even know, and that's why they are not even believers. Now, will they be forgiven? If they come to the knowledge of the gospel and repent, it means, yes, they have cooperated with the Holy Spirit, they have acknowledged him as the source of God's power and the only one able to bring them to Christ, and for that reason, they have not blasphemed against him, they have actually surrendered to him to lead them to Christ Jesus the Messiah. But if they do not become believers, if they never cooperate with the Holy Spirit and submit themselves to his leadership and allow them to convict them and convince them of the gospel and bring them to the only Jesus who can save, if those people should die in their sins, it is a clear indication that they have rejected the Spirit's prompting, they have rejected the Spirit's leading, they have denied the Spirit's power, they have fought against his conviction, they have disregarded everything he has whispered in their ears and their hearts. They have decided to live life apart and away from the Spirit of God. It is a clear indication that they have rejected or blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Anyone who denies the work of the Spirit in their lives, who refuses to be convinced by the Spirit of God as he helps them to understand the good news of the gospel that only can save them. Such men cannot be saved. Such people cannot arrive at salvation. No wonder Jesus says they will not be forgiven, either in this age or even in the age to come. 
They are so hardened against the work of the Spirit that they will never receive the gospel. They will never open their hearts to the gospel. They will ridicule the gospel. They will laugh at gospel preachers. They will walk away from where the gospel is being preached. And that mark of hardenedness is what Jesus identifies as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. A total disregard a permanent disregard, a continuous, consistent disregard of the prompting of the work of the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their lives. If you have been worried about it, take heart. If you are already a believer, you have not committed it, and therefore you have assurance that you will be forgiven, and you will stand upright in the presence of God on that day if you believe. If you are still an unbeliever and you are worried as to whether you have committed it, that can only be a sign that you haven't yet. Because if you had, then you wouldn't even be worried about it. What you need to do is to believe in the gospel. As the Holy Spirit guides and touches you, confess your sins before him, and you will not only be forgiven, but you will be restored. The Apostle John writing in his letters in First John, he says that if we deny that we have sinned, we make God a liar. But if we confess our sinfulness, he is not only faithful to forgive us of our sins, but he is faithful enough to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just some, but all unrighteousness. May the Lord bless you so much as you continue to think through this passage. And as you continue to pray and to work with the Spirit of God, that he who called you into the gospel message and ministry may continue to affirm and confirm you, to set you apart and sanctify you, and to prepare you for the glorious return of Christ Jesus, our blessed God and hope. God bless you. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.